electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour, assessing Apple with the stock already down 12% this month. Is more downside ahead, and which of the other fangs could be vulnerable? We'll debate that with our investment committee. With me for the hour today are Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss, Pete Najeri, and Shannon Sakosha is the chief investment officer at Boston Private Wealth. Degas Wright's with us, too. He's the chief investment officer at Decatur Capital Management. Good to see everybody. Let's begin with a look at the wall this final trading day of the week. Mixed picture right now. NASDAQ is now negative by 30 points. Dow's good for 140. Our focus today on Apple. You see it all the way on the right. Was in the green. Now it is in the red. By one and three quarters percent. Pete Nigerian, is Apple vulnerable? Down 6% this week, down 12% month to date. Yes, it's had a great year, but is it now vulnerable? Mm-hmm. You know, like anything, Scott, I mean, there's, there's so many different variables right now that everybody's looking at. And as they decide to, you know, basically exit so many of the high flyers, and obviously Apple's one of those names. There's no doubt there could be some pressure on it. I think that would be an opportunity. I, I, I still believe in the company in terms of all the things that I bring up. As a matter of fact, I know that there's a piece out there today that's talking about on the sell side with Goldman where they're defining exactly why Apple, they're still bearish on it. And I still look at it and I think anybody who's still looking at Apple as only the phone company is looking at it wrong. So I disagree with that call. That doesn't mean it can't go down a little bit further because I think the pressure is on and there's no doubt People are getting out of certain positions because they've had such a great run to the upside. And we're seeing a lot of that. And a lot of that's been indications that we've seen for a long time now in the options markets that really were very bullish. And now we've kind of hit a bit of a pause. All right. So you mentioned Goldman, right? They reiterate their sell rating, Pete. They got $80 a price target. We believe investors should follow the numbers. And in our opinion, these aren't consistent with the narrative that has driven the stock to its highest premium versus the S&P since 2011. That's when the iPhone penetration was accelerating. On the other side, though, Shannon, Katie Huberty, okay, she's out with a note today, too. Overweight, $130 the price target. They'd be aggressive buyers, they say, if the stock got down to 100. So, Shannon, I mean, this is a big question in the market about arguably the most loved stock in the market. What happens now? We, I mean, we would expect to see this type of sell-off, Scott, after a replacement cycle. We really haven't seen the, the full brunt of the 6-6-S replacement cycle from the device perspective. So I know that we don't want to talk about handsets, any, handsets anymore for Apple. We want to be focused on services. But to be honest with you, if you look at this upcoming you know, replacement cycle, plus the growth they have in services, and you think about the ubiquitous name that Apple is in our day-to-day lives, you know, I think weakness is a buying opportunity. Maybe not for the next six months, uh, but over the next five years, it's hard to think of a consumer brand that you'd want to have uh, exposure to. And especially given that I think this sell-off is a little early, given their, you know, the cyclicality of their business. 
it's interesting. I mean, you talk about the next six months. Are you are you expecting a decline in, in shares over the next, you know, short to medium term period of time, just given how the stock has has run up? I think it's less about this particular stock and more about, you know, the broader, you know, technology conversation. And I know we're going to have that here, but this is, you know, this is such the bellwether of the fangs. Um, And so, you know, I could I do think that there might be some selling pressure as investors find other opportunities in the market from a valuation perspective. But I've grown a bit weary in this argument that these tech valuations are so outsized. The fangs are actually not that expensive if you look at where they could be given, you know, the the fundamental tailwind that they've enjoyed during COVID. And so I think there might be some weakness. But to Pete's point, we might have another opportunity here over the next couple of months to add to a position. I mean, Degas, you you look at valuations among these large mega cap, you know, technology growth stocks. Facebook is 30 times, Alphabet's 30 times, Microsoft 32 times. Amazon's come down a bit. It's still 92 times. Netflix is 65 times. Let's not forget, too, that we've been talking a lot about multiple expansion. And the reason why these stocks rose to begin with wasn't necessarily on their great fundamentals. It was on multiple expansion. For example, at the March low, Apple's P.E. was 16 times. Today, it's around 30 times. The question is, do the fundamentals of these stocks justify the expansion of the multiple to that degree? Yes, Scott, we agree with um that the valuations, if you use those types of valuation, it does look outsized. But what we're looking at is free cash flow to enterprise value. If you look at that also, operating cash flow yield, somewhat different measures. But if you look at it from that vantage point, many of the mega uh, tech names are actually fairly valued, maybe a little bit slightly overvalued. But with this pullback, it gives you opportunity to buy into the business case. And so I think all of us on this panel are more long term investors. And so we see that the the FANG stocks, many of them, the business case still exists to own these stocks. As we have these pullbacks, this is a buying opportunity for many of these individual stocks. And what I will say, you have to look at each individual stock and their business model to make that decision. Weiss, do you feel like these stocks are, are now especially vulnerable? I know I know people don't want to think that that Apple could have a a more meaningful correction than maybe it's already had. It it is such a loved stock, and maybe it's more love now as a result of the split for a variety of reasons. But what do you think when you look at a stock that's down 12% in a single month? I read you where the multiple is now versus where it was, um, you know, a handful of months ago. Look, on, on Apple in particular, as opposed to the others, there are so many cross currents here fundamentally. You've now got an attack on the App Store, which has been the engine of growth, versus the other FANG stocks. Apple's had virtually no growth. Last quarter is a good quarter, but they've been flat top and bottom line for two years, despite great growth in the, uh, in the App Store. Then you've got issues with China, where we're waiting for the retaliation. Apple's such a large employer there, I don't think you see it. So yes, there's some weakness. I think short term, it's given to the volatility of the market, that that's probably the most well-known name among the Robin Hooders and other day traders. And they don't get the instant gratification they got over the last few months. So they're not used to booking losses. Now they're taking them. I think under any time period, if you look, you'll do okay in Apple, despite the elevated multiple, because there are very few growth stocks to buy. 
I'm looking at the launch of the 5G phones, the reports coming out of Asia, DigiTimes, you can look at other publications there, are that they're telling their suppliers to gear up for 75 million phones. Now, that's not a lot more than they typically do. Uh, usually it's around 70 to 72, but the margins are going to be a lot greater. They're going to be more expensive phones. And I think that there's just such a thirst for 5G that's been pulled forward in this 10-year cycle, that that's what's going to take off. Also, the news coming out of Asia, talking to those companies, staying on top of the press, is that they're still crushing it in terms of being putting in production on laptops, on wearables, on iPads. So that business continues to do quite well. So I think you'll see another good quarter from the relative to expectations. So I'm staying there. I think the split trade's over and done with, and that, yeah, it could go down a little further, but I'm comfortable still owning it. I'm comfortable buying more at certain levels. Just to, and I'll just wait for analysts like Katie Huberty to come back and raise the target another 20% without any fundamental reason to do so once it moves to 125. Speaking of, of Katie, I mean, she's talking about this event that Apple's holding next week. No one exactly knows exactly what's going to take place. She does say we don't expect Apple to announce new phones during that event, that it's going to be more around the, the other products, as even, you know, some are speculating that you'll get the 5G announcement next week. But Katie Huberty right there says maybe not so fast. Here's what I want to do, Joe, before I, I get yeah. to you, because it's so relevant to your, I think, your current perspective on the market, and certainly as it relates to valuations of, of many of these stocks. I want you to listen to Tony Sakanagi this morning on Squawk Box speaking about the tech landscape right now, valuations where they are in relation to where some valuations were back in 99 and 2000. Let's listen to Tony, Joe, then I'll get your take. These are the highest valuations we've seen uh, since the technology bubble in, in 2000 and the subsequent bursting of the bubble. Um, so we've had tech outperform for eight straight years. It's outperformed by over 30% this year. Uh, we do have very high valuations, and, and Tesla is, you know, among the poster children for what has happened in the marketplace. You know, when stocks go up 25% because of a stock split, um, you know, and you're seeing, you know, several hundred thousand retail investors own a stock at, at one brokerage firm alone like Robinhood, those are things that we saw in 1999, and those are worrisome things. All right, that's Tony Sakanagi, Joe. The, the question is how worrisome, if at all, maybe you disagree wholeheartedly with Tony. However, I will note that you sold Square. It's one of these huge winners with a very large valuation. So you tell me. Well, I think uh, concern is the right word to have as we sit here on September 11th for where the markets are, Scott. Um, I think what you've experienced is uh, certainly in names like Tesla, there is an extreme overvaluation. I think Stephen really nails it. I think a lot of this has nothing to do with fundamentals at all. I think a lot of this has to do with positioning. We talked about Apple. I heard everyone discussing the fundamentals. I would offer that with the, what you're experiencing right now with a 13% decline in the last five days for Apple has nothing to do with fundamentals. We're coming into the final weeks of the third quarter. Apple's up 22% for this very quarter, Microsoft is only up 1%. So I think it's about the way people are positioned. I don't think we can make the analogy to uh, 1999 and 2000 and suggest that we're going to see something where in 99, Microsoft is 60, 12 months later, it's 20, and it doesn't go back above 39 for the next 13 years. I think we're seeing a relaxation in the overconcentration to growth 
and mega cap growth names. I think it's been long overdue. And I think we're in a position right now as we sit right above the 50-day moving average for the S&P and the NASDAQ where the market is kind of cautiously trying to figure out, okay, is there further downside coming or have we found our support? I suspect potentially there is further downside coming, but in terms of price, I don't think you'll see the velocity uh, and the extreme move that we witnessed in the NASDAQ here over the last five days. I think much of the price damage has been done. Okay, so there's a, there's a lot in there that I, that I want to drill down on. Number sure. one, the, the comment you made about Apple's decline having nothing to do with fundamentals. Um, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Uh, but then you have to scrutinize the way up, too don't you? And, and say, well, how much of the rapid yes. increase in the stock had to do with fundamentals? And you can certainly make a strong case about Apple's fundamentals. Maybe not enough, though, mm -hmm. to justify what was a tremendous move to, to the upside. Number two, you use Microsoft when you talk about comparisons to 1999. And I'm curious as to why and why you're not looking at some of the other mega growth, or, or not mega cap, but these mega growth names with massive valuations that uh, have run up by tremendous uh, amounts, if not, you know, parabolically, and say those are the ones that resemble some part of 1999. That's what Tony Sakanagi is talking about when he talks about speculation in names like Tesla, which you may love. And investors in that name may love it still may not justify the kind of move we saw so how do you square both of those ideas so i, I great observations on on both points number one uh apple on the way up what was the correlation to some form of improving fundamentals zero nothing to do with fundamentals it had to do with speculative fervor it had to do with positioning it had to do with exactly what stephen was defining Secondarily, why do I mention Microsoft? Because Microsoft at the time in 99-2000 was that largest market cap technology company. And we're seeing right now the Fangs and Apple with 7% waiting in the S&P in a similar position. So there are other hyper growth, I would call them, uh, names that are experiencing lofty valuations that Tony Saganacci is talking about right now that, yes, Scott, you could make some form of an analogy to 99 and 2000. But I don't think whether it's Microsoft or Facebook or Amazon or Apple, you could draw that comparison to 99, 2000. Last point, if you uh, allow me to, on Tesla. I think we keep incorrectly talking about Tesla and Apple in the same conversation. I think it's two uniquely different circumstances. I do think you have to give consideration to a very significant short squeeze that probably unfolded here in Q3 for Tesla. And I think that's a much different circumstance than what you're experiencing no, in Apple. I'm not disagreeing with you. My, my, my point is exactly the point you're making. I'm not putting Apple and Tesla in the same conversation the same way I was questioning why you were seemingly putting Microsoft and 99 in the same conversation when we're talking about certain things now. Like I said, you sold Square. Square's got a valuation of P.E. Mm -hmm. Forward P is like 150 whatever times. The stock is up 150 whatever percent year to date. Are those more the names that have resemblance to 99 and why Sakanagi said what he did? Yes, I would say names like Square have more of a resemblance uh, to the environment of 99 than an Apple or a Microsoft or an, app, uh, an Amazon. My sell of Square is risk management in purpose. 
It is because I purchased it after earnings at a 148 price, and I just wanted to manage the risk. I was afforded uh, a profitability after buying it, and I didn't want to turn a winning trade into a losing trade. But yeah, I would say Square is indicative of the type of name that you're describing that looks similar to the lofty valuations names that we saw in 99 and 2000. But again, I'm just trying to emphasize the point. Microsoft, Apple, these names are uniquely different because they are the U.S. economy and they do have incredibly you. strong fundamentals. And let me also clarify, Deg I'm, I want to hear from you, Degas, because I know you want to get into the conversation. I'm not in any way, shape or form trying to compare a Square or any one of those other stocks to, say, a Pets.com and some of those other 99-ish right. uh, names. I, I want to make that especially clear. I think everybody knows that, but I just want to be absolute certain. Degas. Yeah, Scott, and, and uh, to Joe's point, if you look back at 1975, how much value did you get from the intangible assets of a company? Back in 1975, it was only 15% of their market caps. Fast forward to today, it's 85 intangible assets, which are non-financial measures of value. It makes up over 85% of the valuation of a stock. So what we're seeing today is a more focus on the intangible assets. Those things that are very difficult to measure financially are driving the, uh, these prices, these values. Brand value, protecting brand, it all focuses around that. So the discussion almost have to shift from the 1999, 2000 to where we are today and how valuations are being driven. Yeah, and especially when you talk about powerful brands. <laughs> so what Weiss do you do then with a Peloton, right? For everybody who says, well, look, these, right. these, these, these are unsustainable, the stocks shouldn't be up this much, everything's been pulled forward, Peloton smacks you across the face and says, no, we're, well, this is legit. There's a reason why the stock was up as much as it is, and we have enough products in the pipeline that this is a real story for a, an awfully long time. What do, what do you say to that? Right. So for, first, let's give, let me give you some statistics. There are twice as many publicly traded stocks in 2000 as there are today. Uh, indexing was just, you know, just a vision then, not a factor where they own 50% of the company. So when you take those two factors into account, you've got essentially rough numbers, 25% less float in terms of shares that you can buy in public companies today than you did then. Like any other commodity, that's going to create a scarcity value, so it goes up on Peloton. So I've actively traded it since I sold the position that I had 45, been in and out. I was in this week. Uh, it has the same, you know, issues that are going for it, which is that the market rewards momentum in execution and momentum in price, equal measures. So the troubling signs in the market to me are that I was able to short Peloton calls, the 110s at $5 and change, I believe it was, yesterday with the stock trading at 88 or maybe it's $3. I'll short the 105s and the 100s. Who's paying that? for the stock. They are hoping that that stock essentially goes from 85 to 115 in order to recover just the premium. I did the same thing on Lulu, the 155, and that was one day. The, the options expired today. They'll expire worthless. That's for me. I sold my Peloton position just because it wasn't a full position. It was a more trading position. But you look at the numbers that they're putting up. You look at what I believe is a sustainable business. If I were more positive in the market, I'd build on that core position because keep, it keeps going. They're making money way ahead of schedule, so the market is appropriately rewarding them. 
You look at Lulu, which is something I own, Pete owns, I believe Joe owns it, uh, and same thing with the options. I sold the, one, the 355s at $19 with the stock at about 350 that are expiring this Friday. That's the lunacy in the market. Those are the troubling signs. Right. Lulu put up a good quarter. So here's what I want they you beat, to do. But yeah. guess what? The beat wasn't great. Here's what I want you to do, because you're rattling off a lot of numbers um, that may be hard for people to follow in certain options, trades, and positions that you have or, or are currently putting right. on or taking off. Tweet those out for me, all right? You're active enough on Twitter. Tweet out the moves you okay. made. People can follow you on, tweet, on Twitter, at Stephen L. Weiss, and, and get the numbers, because it's hard to write everything down as you're rattling everything off. Shannon, though, you don't like Peloton. No, and I, I actually think this goes back to your point earlier, Scott, about valuations and some of the gains being pulled forward. Um, I think people are expressing their views on valuations by selling across the sector. Um, so they're selling, and we see the impact more in the large cap names, but um, you know, like the Fangs and, and Microsoft. But with Peloton, if you look at what has happened with that stock, and you think about the product that they're selling, um, there's going to be a you know an inability to scale at the current price to a, a significantly larger market. And so if you got into this stock and you've been in it for the last six months, congratulations, you made a lot of money. However, if I look forward and I try to extrapolate that over the next couple of years, if I think about you know, the basket of stocks where we have those gains pulled forward, this is absolutely one of those. I think we go back to a more normalized consumer behavior in the back half of 2021, and this company will continue to be able to sell bikes However, I think that it, at a certain point, you have an opportunity for a lower cost substitute, which you do not have now. And so for me, I, you know, I wouldn't be buying the stock here. And in fact, I think you're going to you know, be met with some disappointment in the first half of next year because I don't think they're going to grow into this multiple. The inability to scale. I mean, that's a bold statement considering what the company has in, in the pipeline. Now, albeit some of the new products may be at a lower price point. But don't you feel because of the brand power that Peloton has and the loyalty, it's one of those rare brands seemingly that has this level of loyalty that even if somebody comes along with a less expensive bike or treadmill or whatever the next product is, that the customer is going to go to Peloton. I don't think I think you're right. If you're looking to buy a bike and you're not looking to go back to SoulCycle or to your gym, I think Peloton's going to be the way that you go. I just think from a lower cost substitute perspective, I'm not talking about another bike that you use in the home. I'm talking about going back out and working out in a gym or in a fitness facility that your company sponsors because those things aren't going away entirely. So is is this a, you know, a 6-month story? Probably not. Is it a 2-year story? I just don't see it being able to grow into that multiple. And I think that they have a defined consumer base that's not as large as some of the other consumer brands that we've talked about today. Yeah. Anybody else want to? Scott, I, well, here's yeah, go ahead, Weiss. Yeah. Let me just say this. Yeah. I, I, people too often that aren't that familiar with Peloton, and, and I know Shannon is, look at it as a bike. It's not. You have to look at it as a subscription model, like a SaaS company. And you're subscribing to the company. Their churn is negligible, almost nothing. And I think that people, a certain segment of the people, are going to continue to avoid gyms. I know I'm one of them. And I get a much better workout in Peloton. And then you've got their fitness classes. And with the new bike where you can rotate the screen, it's phenomenal. Hey, Jason Calacanis, Jason Calacanis is jumping out of his chair right now, screaming, yes, yes. Because he's talking about that it has Netflix potential for a lot of the same reasons of what you're talking about. Yeah, Scott, you agree. That's exactly how you have to look at it. It's a bike. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> yeah, Scott, you know, yeah, one of the things I want to, 
you know, you can't carry it with you. You can't carry it with you. Hold on, hold on, Degas. I'm sorry. You go. <laughs> yeah. So Scott, I was going to say that it's not. It's more than a bike. If you think about Apple, was a product was the 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 device. What Apple was able to do is move into the services, move into more the service software side. As Peloton, if they can make that transition to a software company, that's where these multiples will come into play. I agree with Steve. I think people are not going to go back to the gym. I have a colleague that actually runs a, a, a chain of gyms. And what they did at the beginning of uh, in March, they went virtual with their workout and actually started a subscription system for working out. And so this could be a growth area. And Peloton, as you indicated, has the name very similar to Apple. I love this conversation because I, I feel Scott. like, Pete, I feel like this yeah. is emblematic of the way that people are debating the whole market. Joe saying it's a bike and Steve saying it's a SaaS <laughs> right. company and Calacana saying mm -hmm. it has Netflix like <laughs> potential. <sighs> yeah. And there are a lot of other stocks where you could have a similar sort of battleground argument that have run yeah. up tremendously during the pandemic. No doubt. Absolutely. No doubt. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody's right to some degree. I think the reality, though, Scott, is are people never going back to a gym? Is that what everybody's saying here? That's why Peloton's going to succeed? Right. Because I think that's ridiculous. I've completely gone back to my gym. I'm back in my gym now for the last month, and everything is great. Yes, there's social distancing. Yes, there's all kinds of protocol that you've got to go through. But I think the return to the gym is something that will absolutely happen. I don't think everybody's going to want to. We're a social society. We really are. And I think the reality is people, once they feel more comfortable, will become social again. And when they do, all these, all, what I see in Peloton is a company that's done a magnificent job. They've done everything right, and they have pulled everything forward. At some point in time, when people get comfortable to go back to Lifetime or Anytime or 24-Hour Fitness or wherever they might want to go, I think that we will start to see that happen, and I think you're going to see a big slowdown on a, a very expensive system. You're but, paying anywhere from between $2,500 and $5,000, plus you have a subscription model. Are you kidding me? If everybody's in as big a trouble as we hear about each and every day, and Scott, I've heard you talk about this as well, <laughs> mainstream society, people are struggling. Yep. Well, for how are people then going to be able to afford these Peloton bikes and everything else and all these other yeah. Yeah. This, uh, uh, different fitness things that they bring at home and they still have to pay a subscription model? I don't see that. I actually okay. think we'll see the then, gyms come back. It's a matter of time. Then, Pete, then you must, you must yeah, want Pete, everybody. it's cheaper hey, than the gym. Hang on. You must, you must want everybody to sell Zoom. You must want everybody to sell Teladoc. Yes. You must want everybody yes. to sell all these names that, that thrive during the peak of the pandemic because when things I, go back to normal, then no one's going to Zoom anymore and everybody's going to go see the doctor and everybody's no, going to no, go do no, all no, these other overrate. things that have, that have caused a pull forward on a number Absolutely of names. Absolutely not, Scott. No, but no, no. that's no, what no. you just Absolutely said. Absolutely not. I am... No, it's not. What I said was, if you think that people are going to continue to be not as social as they once were, I do believe that you're going to see the Zooms of the world continue on. Now, not at the same pace. They're not going to possibly grow at the same sort of a level that they had because 
People will at some point start to return to normalcy in work. Doesn't mean it's 100% though. So Zoom can still work. Teladoc can still work. Those, I, I think that you're going to see more and more people that are going to say, you know what, this Zoom is great, but why don't I do a hybrid? That's what everybody said. Everybody said it's all one or the other. Yeah. That's not the case. There's going to be a hybrid society that's going to come out of this entire thing when people start to get more comfortable. If you guys all think that everybody's going to sit in their house and Zoom and only do teledoc and not actually sit in front of a doctor, you're absolutely nuts. I think you're going to see a hybrid model that will work. That's why some of these absolute just screaming numbers that we're seeing, that's going to come down. I do think you'll see a pullback into the Zooms of the world, the Teladocs of the world, and a lot of the other stocks that have absolutely prospered in an amazing way and for the right reasons, but they're only the right reasons right now. People right. will change and go back to what they were. Uh, let me grab a break yep. real quick. Straight ahead, the streets number one semiconductor analyst is with us. Bernstein's Stacy Raskon. The chip stock, he's now named the top pick in the space. It's a bit of a change for him, too. It's up next in our call of the day. We're back in just two minutes. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers. Highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, we're back. We're going to get to unusual activity with Pete in just a moment. I do, however, want to show you shares of Peloton before we do that. A stock that was up about 10% on the day has now turned negative by about three quarters of 1%. NASDAQ itself is down about 89, 90 points. It's approaching a 1% loss. Joe, I just wanted to get a comment from you because in our debate, I didn't really hear from you other than when you said it's a bike, as if to be one of the shade throwers on part of this story. <laughs> well, being a shade thrower, I think, Scott, your, your narrative before surrounding are there certain valuations that are too high? And I think Peloton is an example of exactly that. It may be fundamentals have gotten a nice tailwind, but does it deserve to be trading where it is right now? If I'm CEO John Foley and I'm looking at today, you've done 55 million shares in your stock. The average daily volume is 20 million. You're now lower on the day. That's not the type of trading behavior that's indicative of a fairly valued stock. And beyond Peloton, I agree on Zoom video, and I also think you could look at a name like Wingstop, which I mentioned back earlier in the year as a name to own. But come on, Wingstop selling chicken wings, selling at 150 times earning? <laughs> That's just an overvaluation story. So you use the words deserve to be. Um, I mean, look, you can mm -hmm. make a, can we, we could have a debate for three hours on how many stocks, quote unquote, <laughs> deserve to be where they are. Uh, but, you know, things that are who would have thought the market would be where it is today 
in what Listen, what still is a, Scott, a a pandemic. Scott, you've got the power at CNBC to extend the show for three hours, but we could <laughs> have a show for the next three hours discussing exactly what you asked me at the beginning of the show. How many of these stocks out there, not the Microsoft, the Amazon, the Apples, but how many of these other stocks that have just gone parabolic really deserve the valuation that they're trading at right now? And I would argue a lot of them don't. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, it's going to be an ongoing story for sure. Pete, I, I mentioned your unusual activity. What do you got for us today? Well, I'm going to start off with Dow, Dow Inc. Now, this is one of those names, chemical name, and it's pretty interesting because this stock was trading $22 back in, in during the pandemic in March, and it's rallied all the way back up towards 50 today. And when it did that, we already had people who had made a good bet, and they were right about buying the September 50s. Now they're actually extending out a little bit, Scott, and they're buying the December 55 calls, about 6,000 of those. So they're rolling out of one into another. That's somebody who likes the trade and thinks the stock goes higher. Those are going for about $2.25 or something in that sort of a, a ballpark. And, and then I've got one more for you, AES. Now, I don't talk about utility names a lot. But if you look at the month of August, this, this utility actually moved a lot like a tech name. It had a big jump. It was up about 16%, which for this company, that's a very rapid move to the upside. So what are we seeing in there? We also see some buying of the October 19 calls. They bought 14,000 of these, a big chunk of those going for 25 cents. Stock was trading about 17 and a half. So looking for a pretty nice move over the next five or six weeks. I'm in those calls. When it came to Dow, I liked Dow enough that I actually bought the stock. I'm selling premium against that. So I'm actually going to be selling for the next couple of months until we get out to December, as long as that holds up and I see this stock trading somewhere north of 45. I think I can make some pretty good money there. Okay, good stuff. We are going to take a quick Thanks. break. Uh, the investment committee is making a lot of moves today. All right. We've got somebody who's got Starbucks now. That's new. We'll tell you who that is. Steve Weiss buying back a name he's been involved with before. So you want to hear what that is. Joe buying a, well, another stock that he's been involved with before. A prior Josh Brown name is on the list. We've got a lot to get through. We'll do that next. Plus, this mystery chart. It's up 50% in the past six months, up 3% in this week's sell-off. We're back in two minutes with the answer. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I mentioned our investment committee making a lot of moves today. Pete, I'm starting with you uh, because you have a lot of names sure. on your list. So if you can go through these for me, I sort of teed it up with, with these calls that you have in Starbucks now. Why don't you start there and tell us the others? 
Sure. I'll give you Starbucks first. And, and the reason I'm there, Scott, is I actually think this is in a pretty nice range. And anytime you can get Starbucks anywhere close to 80, I think it's a great opportunity. But I think I will tell you this, it gets near 90, 92, I will be out. So I think it's one of these names where once it gets over the 90 level, you start to look at the PE and you say, you know what, it has a hard time breaking through there. So I'm not going to hold for all that long if it gets up and near that, le that level. I also like these two housing plays. I already had owned Toll Brothers, but I actually added to it in the past week or so, and DR Horton as well. I just think that the housing play makes a lot of sense. When you look at everything that's going on in housing right now, other than lumber prices, which actually could actually help drive things even more, I look at this as an area that continues to grow and will continue to grow. The last earning cycle was incredible, and I think these names have plenty of upside. So that those are my three names that I wanted to hit most, most right, for, but, for you today. But you added calls in American and Taiwan Semi, too, yep. which, which Weiss has been all over for a long time now. Yeah, Taiwan Semi is pretty interesting. And, and, and any time I see Unusual actually hit in that name, I know that Steve and I talk all the time. That's one of those names that I know he's liked for a long period of time. I'll jump in there because I like the name, but I need an, a catalyst. And my catalyst was the buying that I'd seen in there. So that's what caused me to jump into that name. But, you know, quite honestly, Scott, I, 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 I did a lot. As a matter of fact, American, I'm already out as of right now. Huh. I got out as okay. I saw that stock made a nice move. So that was, I was in, I was out. It was all very short this week. Yeah, you're a lightning quick. I'm glad you, you clarified that for me. Uh, Thanks yeah. for doing that. Uh, yeah. Weiss, you sure. bought back Micron. Tell me why. I did. I was watching a trade and uh, it bottoms at 44.45. So they have a way of taking out the excess pretty quickly. So I thought it was a low risk hold and it just goes with my semi space and has moves a lot less frankly, and some of the others. I've been shaving some positions as well, and I've hired cash now I've had in a long, long time. Okay. If you recall, I went to some cash a while ago, haven't deployed it back. Joe, quickly for me, you bought Verizon, you bought Albemarle. Yes, Verizon, 5G, also a little defensive in its nature. Albemarle, technical breakout, strong momentum, electric vehicle recovery in Europe, that's going to support lithium. All right, we're going to talk some oil coming up. Prices are down 7% this week on track for the second straight weekly loss. Why it might be primed for a rebound, though, we'll get into that next. It's time now for the futures outlook. Crude is higher today. It's still down 5% this week. Question is, is more pain ahead? Jim Urio, Scott Nations have ideas for us. Scott, you first. Uh, Scott, the fundamentals in crude oil are just absolutely terrible. There's no good news there. You know, last week we had a surprise draw in supply. That couldn't help. Prices actually broke. Yesterday, we had a surprise build. That's certainly not going to help. Uh, China is not importing crude oil. The Saudis have said that they're going to cut prices for crude oil they expect to deliver in October. Distillate demand is terrible. So absent a really significant catalyst, it's look out below. Yeah. What about you, Jim? What do you think? I mostly agree with Scott, too. We talked on Tuesday, and I said I expected a bit of a bounce, and I guess I got it, but it wasn't very enthusiastic. Here's what I see now. I see the last couple of days have formed kind of a tight consolidation pattern that looks like a bear pennant a little bit, plus it's still below the 50, 100, and 200-day moving average. If it takes out Tuesday's low of 36.13, I think the first quick stop is 35, but that could be in a bigger move down to 30. Again, if it goes above 38.5 right now and it comes on the upside of this bear pennant, I think all bets are off. But right now, I think negative as well. All right, good stuff. Good weekend. We'll talk to you guys soon. We'll do final trades next. It is time for Friday's final trades. Degas, you're up first. Yeah, so MasterCard. Uh, reason we like this, I'm going to talk about that intangible valuation, focusing on business innovation 
they have been able to focus on about 500 million people from 2015 to the day that they have actually moved from being unbanked and underbanked to being banked and all those customers are being exposed to MasterCard's products. That's my uh, trade for today. All right, good stuff. You have a good weekend. Shannon, what do you have for us? MLM, Martin Marietta. If you guys are looking for some materials buys, this is a great one. Um, industrial aggregate, and we think that there could be growth, uh, especially with an infrastructure package next year. Okay, Mr. Terranova. Extra space storage, EXR. Self-storage is the fastest in an economic recovery. Look back to 08 and 09, you'll see what occurred. Short-term leasing, it's a REIT name that you can own. All right, Pete Weiss, you both have Lulu. That's interesting. Weiss, you go first, <laughs> 15 seconds. Yeah, I can actually, thanks. I can actually fit into their clothes, and, and Pete wants to one day. So <laughs> by Peloton, you'll get there. Look, Lulu's been trashed. All I can think of is that there's, that there's a big seller out there liquidating it. It's ridiculous. Great quarter, great growth. Yeah. 495 of their stores are open. Buy it today. That's Weiss. You tell him 15, he takes 30. Pete, are you at less than 10? <laughs> All right, the reality is they're buying calls. I think after 400 to 310, I think you got to buy calls in here. I right. already own stock. I'm buying calls right now. All right, good weekend, everybody. The exchange starts now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.